Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Uh, man, anytime you get one of the pro football focus guys on, you know you're going to get some good stuff. And uh, Eric Egers, the guy who's joining us today, uh, at PFF underscore Eric. And you start looking into this guy, and I realize, Blaine, he may be actually too smart to be on the show. Maybe he and Kevin Dyson need yeah, to Dr. Smooth. Doctors, uh, the football doctors. I think we've nailed your next podcast there, Eric. Uh, so, <laughs> so you're a math guy. You have a PhD, right? Give people some of your backdrop, and then, and then, how in the world did a math guy go? You know what? I'm gonna talk about football. Well, I actually, I mean, I've always liked football more than anything. You know, I when I growing up, I played. I played in college, and you know, obviously, I just wasn't good enough. You know, you, you meet that, you meet that point in time. And I majored in math because I thought it was easy. And then, uh, you know, I went and got, <laughs> oh, man, you know, like, now you're just I, showing off. And, and I, I went and I went and studied, uh, and I, and I looked up to a lot of professors. So I thought that that was gonna be a fun career at, at the time. Uh, there weren't football analytics positions available and, you know, baseball was just starting, but you know, it, it was, it seemed like more of a steady path to just go, you know, and teach at a university. And that's what I did. And I liked it. And, you know, PFF had come along and they had changed a decent amount of like the way some people watched football and consumed it and stuff. And so I started to just help them. Like I started to watch games for them on the weekends, you know, was, I was doing it anyway. I might as well get paid for it. And then eventually um, I started to write some stuff on their site. They started to, you know, like that. And eventually I am where I am now, which is, you know, I get to, I get to study football all day, every day, which is the dream. Well, ahead of last Sunday, when you were analyzing Titans Browns, did you have Baker Mayfield having the second highest rated day of his career going into that game? Because that's what happened. Well, I actually tweeted out this thing of where Mayfield is one of the better quarterbacks in the league when clean and his PFF grade out of zero to 100 when pressured is 28.4. He has been horrible this year when under pressure. And unfortunately, like when you every single Titans game, you can handicap kind of the same way, right? when they went to Cincinnati and Cincinnati was playing third and fourth string offensive linemen, you're like, this matters against everybody except for the Titans without Clowney. <laughs> and of course, like, you know, they can't get any pressure on Burrow. And it's like been the one brilliant game Burrow's had this year. And then you look at the Browns and you're like, well, their issue is because you know, the, the Titans offense, when they decide they want to throw the ball, like they're as good as anybody in the league, uh, maybe other than Kansas city, but like, you know what the hard part is in that process of doing that you get fumbles you get stops on fourth down and stuff so they they were slow to go offensively Cleveland you know foot on the gas right away throwing the football and I think what they saw was you know they were they were going to be able to pass without a ton of pressure and Mayfield Mayfield the other day was pressured four snaps he was 0 for 3 three throwaways when he was pressured and then he was Joe Montana when clean and and like that's you know that that's like the story there and I think when you think about okay how do the Titans win in the playoffs they're gonna have to like whether it's blitzing Desmond King every play or something they're gonna have to find a way to manufacture pressure Eric Eager starting off with a bang here on Blaine and Mickey with pro football focus man you're scaring me man I'm gonna go through the offensive side then and say since they're on their third string offensive tackle, you know how's Quisenberry doing? Him and in, in the Undertaker, if you kind of want to compare the two, uh, and say that uh, because it seems like they're holding up. I know they're you know blocking with tight ends and running backs at time too to help them out. Uh, but Tannehill still seems to be clicking on all cylinders most of the game. 
Yeah, they're doing they're doing such good things to sort of protect him. Uh, Quisenberry's graded fine. I mean, especially in run blocking, he's got a really good grade. You know, he you know pass blocking, it's a little bit below average, but you know you expect that from a backup offensive lineman. Sam Brelo has been okay as well. And the thing I like to talk about is good offenses are offenses where the quarterback protects the offensive line, and you know, the Titans are a good offense and uh, the stuff that they do, whether it's, you know, play action or, you know, some of the quick game stuff that they have, they're an offense where I kind of understood letting them, you know, let it, letting tackles go in the off season and trying to regroup with younger guys because they, they protect the offensive line so well with some of the things that they do. You see it in Cleveland as well. Like, you know, Cleveland upgraded. They've had a lot of injuries on the offensive line this year, and it hasn't really mattered because, you know, both of those offenses do sort of the same thing, which is, you know, establish the run, obviously, but but I think more importantly, run play action, get the quarterback into safe spaces, and, you know, especially with Tennessee, Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, like those are guys, you know, John New Smith when he's been healthy are guys that can be explosive. And so they, you know, all those situations put their players, I think, in easier positions to succeed. Arthur Smith has been really good this year. Well, naturally, the Titans play uh, the Jags next, and they've lost, I think, 11 straight or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, What has been the difference? And they've been in games, too. So they're not no, you know, they're just going to walk in there and, oh, we're going to win and Duval. That's not going to happen. But what's been the difference between Glenn and now that he's a quarterback versus Minshew? Uh, I think some of it is just um, uh, opponents, right? So Minnesota, you know, even though they've they've gone on a winning streak, Minnesota isn't very good defensively. They can't get pressure. They traded Yannick Ngakwe, you know, out of the division after he was in Jacksonville. They traded him to Baltimore. Um, and Danell Hunter hasn't played at all this year. And so Glennon had a really safe pocket. Now, that's probably going to be what he's going to have against Tennessee mm. um, this week as well. So I think he can have some success. Um, you know, but they, they, the, this Jaguars team has been game. I mean, in the first Tennessee game, that was a three point game that they were in the entire time. Uh, they, I think they're the only team in NFL history that's lost two 27, 25 games in the same year. Um, and you know, they, they lost by four to green Bay on the road. The Minnesota game went into overtime. They're competitive. And I think if Tennessee doesn't, you know, they, they could be in the meat grinder in this game if they don't, you know, uh, you know, step it up on offense, you know, early in the game, you know, they were awesome in the second half of the game the other day, but if they, if, if they are going to cover the spread, for example, in this one, which is seven and a half, they're going to almost have to, you know, score a touchdown on, on, you know, half or, or more of their possessions. Yeah, no doubt about it. We're on with Eric eager, giving us the PhD in PFF. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the Titans receivers. You mentioned Ryan Tannehill, um, Actually, let's start with Ryan Tannehill. A lot of people thought, okay, there's going to be this regression. He was some of his ratings and metrics last year were historically good amongst yep. the greatest ever. There was going to be some reg- some regression, but what have you seen with him this year overall? So last year Tannehill played 809 snaps. This year he's played 804. So you can kind of like compare them similarly. His pass is his overall grade was 90 last year for us. It's 88 this year. So you're seeing okay. a lot of the same stuff. Um, you know, I, I think what's really good is, you know, sometimes you see this and you see this in Buffalo, you're going to see this in Buffalo. You saw it in Philadelphia. Um, you saw it in Chicago with Trubisky. When you have a quarterback that's not in that elite tier, you can still win if the coach hits all the easy buttons, right? Play action, bootlegs, surround him with great talent. And the Titans have great talent. Um, 
the problem is, is okay, after you pay the guy, then some of these teams start to say, well, no, now it's time for you to be Joe Montana. Now it's time for you to be Patrick Mahomes. Right. And they stop doing all the things that make quarterbacking easy. And as you would expect, they regress. Now the Titans have continued to do the things that make quarterbacking easy. And, and Ryan Tannehill is more than talented enough to, to hit open receivers. And you see receivers open all the time. And, and I think the biggest development this year for the Titans has been, you know, w- without Adam Humphreys as much, right? He's been hurt a lot. Corey Davis has turned in a really good season. He's going to make that decision as to whether or not to sign him after, you know, rejecting his fifth year option, a really difficult one. And, and, you know, I think that that's the you know, part of the issue with, you know, paying Henry paying Tannehill is, is there going to be money left over to pay Davis? But I think they almost have to given the success that they've had um, with that support with, with Ryan at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Corey Davis has been such a, a good soldier and he blocks and he's done all those things, but he didn't really live up to being the number five pick in an NFL draft. Right. But my goodness, did he pick the right year to break out? And I think the question for Titans fans and for the Titans organization is what in the world is he worth now? And, and are you willing to pay that? I mean, what kind of numbers do you think you put on a contract for him? Yeah, it's really tough because we saw last year, right? You know, Mari Cooper got the five years, the hundred million, uh, you know, as a free agent, um, and then there was a huge drop off to, and then basically the next guy was Robbie Anderson, who's turned out to be a gem for the Carolina Panthers. Um, you know, somewhere in that $10 million a year range. I wonder sort of does Davis meet that threshold where he's getting that full contract? I would guess not because obviously they probably think as many do that AJ Brown's the more talented one. Um, but he should, I mean, he should command double digits in terms of millions of dollars a year because of not only his pedigree, we found statistically that if you're picked in the first round, teams are going to pay you more in your second contract, independent of how well you played. And then, um, you know, and also the fact that he's sort of ascending as a player and wide receiver is one of those positions where, you know, a lot of guys hit right. A lot of guys are Justin Jefferson, a lot of guys, AJ Brown, but some of these guys take a while to contribute. And um, those guys are almost, uh, you know, even, even better values because they don't take that Cooper money. The guy that's been great his entire career. Well, you mentioned AJ Brown a couple of times. Uh, He's had a handful of drops this year, but when he's not dropping the ball, he's catching it, and that dude can take it to the house, and he also looks like a running back, you know, while he's doing it. He is a rare combination of size and speed and power. Yeah, and the drops are, are yeah, I think, always going to be there. I mean, receiver, you know, drops are sort of random. You know, they happen. Um, I believe he had four last year, six this year. Um, but, you know, obviously the thing you really like about him is he gets separation, right? Separation is what makes Tannehill good, right? Uh, those those open throws. Um, and then obviously his ability to break tackles. I mean, against Baltimore, he, he broke seven tackles after the catch on four catches uh, and obviously had that play that we were all in awe of and dragging the whole secondary into the end zone with him. He has 14 of those this year. That's that's just like having a Derrick Henry, you know, but instead of entering the play two yards behind the line of scrimmage, he's doing so 15 yards downfield and you can see all the value that's inherent there. So uh, yeah, his sophomore year, I mean, I think people were expecting a 1400 yard year out of him, and the Titans just don't throw the ball enough for that to be the case. Um, But he certainly after a slow start has had a good season. On with Eric eager of uh, pro football focus at PFF underscore Eric. We'll get you to him on Twitter. Well, Eric, let's stick with the receivers, and that's uh, comparing 
through the metrics of the, the you know, the PFF grades and, and the different ways you look at uh, positions, you know, compare Corey Davis versus AJ Brown. And then tell me, is there any duo just as comparable or better uh, than those guys? I, I think Davis is more of like uh Dave, so so the, the comparison stretching, but I I think of AJ Brown as sort of a ter, uh, Terrell Owens, right? Where um, just an absolute freak, and and maybe not the best hands. Like you know, To was an all, a Hall, Hall of Fame receiver, but he was kind of a body catcher, right? And he was so athletic that he was always so open that you never really saw him make the kind of catches that like a Randy Moss would make with his hands, right? And I think Davis has a little bit more of the the finer aspects of receiver where, you know, if you throw the ball to him on the back shoulder, he's going to catch it, um, you know, even when he's covered and stuff like that. Whereas Brown is almost never covered because he's so good at route running and stuff like that. So that's, I think, where I see the difference. Um, as far as duos in the NFL, I mean, you you probably have to look at, you know, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. I think in, in Buffalo, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown's a really good trio. Uh, and in Kansas City, I think you have to count Kelsey as a wide receiver at this point. Kelsey and Hill uh, are about as good as it gets. But this is a good pair. And I and I think you look at all the offenses, even like back when you were playing, like all of the all the good offenses have two good receivers, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is a place, uh, you know, in, in Tennessee where you add Adam Humphreys into the mix, and even Batson last week had some plays, especially on fourth down. Like this is a good this is a good group to go to battle with Ryan Tannehill with. And well, I have to ask you, being that my former coordinator with the Titans uh, is no longer the D coordinator for the Jets. Uh, I'm interested. Is there any matrix of when you make a call and you blitz at the you know the last play of the game? Was there anything telling him that he should do that? And I'm not talking about in his brain and through studying film and everything else, but I'm talking about any you know statistical analysis that says you know typically you can, you know, at least have a reason to say why you did it. Obviously he didn't, but uh, it worked out for the Jets. Well, we know that blitzes and pressure in general generally um, makes the, the outcomes, you know, what are called like two modal. Essentially you have two extreme outcomes. Um, if you pressure and you get a sack or an interception or a fumble or something, that's obviously good for the defense, but oftentimes by the nature of pressure there, you, you did something to generate pressure, whether it be, bring five or six guys or, you know, something, something of that nature. And that obviously leaves you vulnerable in the secondary. And so, you know, pressure is a good thing. Bringing blitz is, is a good thing, generally speaking, during the regular course of the game, because offenses have such an advantage that if you can make one or two big plays on defense a game, you generally win, right? You generally win if you can make, and the Browns showed that the other day, their defense is garbage, but they made one or two big plays early in that game. And that was enough to get a lead and keep it. Um, you know, the problem is, is on that very play, the goal of the defense isn't to make a great play. It's to not make the worst play. And unfortunately, blitzing increases the probability of making the worst play, which is to give up a 50-yard touchdown to single coverage, uh, the 12th overall player in the draft against an undrafted uh, free agent from Nebraska. So that that's, I think, the, the real miss in that one is that obviously the risk-reward ratio is just simply not there for him to actually make that call. Mm. Well, something was worth the risk, and that is for the Jaguars, who are undrafted running back in, in James Robinson. I mean, kind of take us through some of his numbers uh, through PFF, and even actually look at him, and I don't want to say he's comparable to the king. I mean, I'm talking about he, Henry, but uh, man, he's not too far off considering he's an undrafted player. 
Oh, I mean, Henry has 51 broken tackles this year. That's second in the NFL um, to, uh, to Dalvin Cook. Robinson has 29. So that, I think, is a sort of difference. I, I mean, Jacksonville's blocking up a lot of these plays really well. And it sort of shows kind of, you know, why, you know, running back maybe isn't the position to always jump into, you know, with the fourth overall pick. I mean, Robinson is replacing Fournette, um, who came with a lot of fanfare and a lot of draft capital. Um, if you block the plays up, obviously, you know, there are guys that can do really well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's done, you know, he's averaging 3.11 yards per carry after contact. I mean, there, if you look at the league, he has 660 yards after contact that, you know, there are only four or 13 running backs in the league that have that many rushing yards alone, you know? So he, mm-hmm. he's done great. I think he's added a lot in the passing game too, which is good considering their quarterbacks were, you know, the noodle armed Gardner Minshew and, and, you know, you, you kind of need a running back that's going to be a plus player in the passing game uh, there. So yeah, he's done great. He hasn't graded as well. His, his grade is 80. Uh, Henry's is 88. Um, okay. So, so he's not in that category yet, but he like when you only spend an undrafted free agent contract right. on a guy, he doesn't have to be as good as Henry. Yeah. What did he get about 20,000 sign a bonus? Cause I was right around that range. I was just a little bit ahead of him last round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and it shows and it shows why you know scouting departments and 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 that are important because you were a multiple year starter and this guy looks like he's going to be uh, a starter in this league for a while and mm-hmm. and you know obviously it doesn't take a genius to pay Derrick Henry right but but you have to pay him twelve and a half million a year you know so uh, anytime you can get value on the roster uh, that that's important to do and it looks like Jacksonville's done that during their rebuild here. Going with Eric Eager, uh, PFF. All right, before we let you go, I got to ask this. It looks like we've seen the last of Clowney. He's on injured reserve. If this is his one year in Tennessee, as brief as it was, how statistically does PFF look upon <laughs> this one year? The swing they took at Clowney, was it a total swing and a miss, or is there any statistical data you can wring out of those games? Um, no, I think I think he graded, He you know, last year for Seattle, he was an 81. That was the second best grade of his career. Um, this year for Tennessee is a 75. He's been fine. He had 28 pressures. I think that leads the Titans and probably will lead. Uh, I, I, I may be speaking too much here, but that might be second or third on the team by the time the league, the season's done, even though he's only played uh, a few games. No, I mean, he was a guy, he never had less than two pressures in a game. Um, he, you know, he, he didn't miss a ton of tackle. He had 11 of what we call stops. The thing about Clowney is that everybody is wrong about Clowney, right? The guy's who think that he's, you know, amazing and, you know, still the first overall pick in the draft, like they're overlooking the fact that he's not as productive rushing the passer as a lot of guys are. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that look at his pass rushing stats and say, oh, he does zero sacks and think he's a bum, like they're wrong too because he is so good at setting the edge and he gets pressure. He just, it's so weird. He's so bad at finishing, um, but he he's not a complete bust just because his sack numbers are bad. So, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, if this makes him cheaper for Tennessee next year, they should, they should swing it again. Oh, wow. Man. Man, you well, just well, okay. Speaking of swinging them. and striking out, let me say this. What was your grade on Vic Beasley though? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we actually, um, when, when Beasley led the league in sacks in 2016, we wrote articles basically saying, look, like this is great, like good for him, but his pressure numbers were like 25th in the league. 
Um, so he was converting a lot of his pressures into sacks. And generally speaking, that's more about the guys around you, right? If you, um, let's say you run a twist or something and the, the initial guy gets good pressure and he runs right into you, like that, that wasn't your sack, you know? And, 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 you know, what we found is that, you know, Beasley, you know, obviously regressed. He had like less than 15 sacks the next four years combined or whatever. So it certainly was one of those. And, and again, that's what, when you look at it from the positivity end, right? Guys like Brandon Graham never got sacks until they started getting sacks. Well, they always produce pressure, right? And so, you know, with Clowney, he's not as good at producing pressure as a lot of guys, but he's nowhere near as bad at producing pressure as a guy who has zero sacks. And I think that that's, that's kind of the, and, and that's really where, if you're looking at this from trying to build a contender, those are the values that you want. A super talented guy that everybody's like, oh, he's a bum. Well, he's not a bum. And you might be able to get him at a bum price, though. Oh, awesome stuff. Man. <laughs> man, yeah. You might be able to get him at a bum price. I can't wait to see that land on Twitter. Eric <laughs> Eager from Pro Football Focus. Hey, great stuff, man. We'll do it again soon. Thanks Please for having me, guys. Man. Thank you. Absolutely good stuff. Uh, a lot of talk about the Titans. We'll hear from one of the Titans next. Kevin Byard, a lot of the things we've been talking about, he's going to talk about. You'll hear him, well, discuss a variety of things from earlier today on the Titans Zoom call. It's Blaine and Mickey on 104.5. Get the Titans